Bloomy Neck is a builder, for goodness sake. Since when did they ever start a job on time? Can't he just have an extended tea break? <laughs> I'm going to tell him that I've hired my mate to be the surveyor. Only he can't start for a few days. Hopefully, that will buy me enough time. That might actually work. You see? You're not just a, a big hunk of a man with sexy muscles, are you? You like these, sir. Uh, you like these apples, do you? Hey, 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 hey. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 269 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that's surprised that another week has passed with no one noticing that racist Kelly is living at the salon or still working at Roy's. I'm Gavin. And I would like to publicly thank the show for giving the ladies what they want. <laughs> Although I would argue those are much bigger than apples. Nice. <laughs> I did think of you as that was happening. Yeah. Like, oh, well, somebody's been watching this, listening to the podcast. Well, that's Helen taking the extra half hour or so to watch the show this week. Well, maybe just watch this wee bit again. Because now you're an old Scottish woman. Yes. Didn't you know that? I just watched this other wee bit. I knew, oh, he's got big arms, isn't he? <laughs> I may have taken a screenshot. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> How are you? Ah, oh, tired. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, last... Don't, don't literally tell me about it. I'm tired enough. <laughs> well, last week I was out of work because of the... Because I was sick. Oh, was this a... Yeah. Dogs and dog. <laughs> yeah, so last... Last week, because of the storm and because I was sick, I didn't work all week. So now I kind of feel like I have to really catch up because this children's room auction really needs to be ready to go by like the middle of this month, the month of September, because there's a lot of Halloween stuff in it. And I want the Halloween stuff that people buy and need shipped to get to them before Halloween. So I've been working some extra hours and stuff. And then I, you know, I had to go to this house and pack up books by myself. And that was exhausting. But at least the ghost was kind of quiet that day. So that was good. You think there's a ghost in this place? Yes. Based on? Based on the fact that the first time I went there, I was upstairs all by myself working and I kept and I saw a shadow go by twice, and there was nobody else up ghost, on that floor. Ghosts cast shadows now. Ghosts are shadows. Oh, is that is that a new rule that ghosts have brought out? <laughs> yes, yes. The ghosts make the rules. I thought you knew this. I thought the interesting thing about ghosts was that they didn't cast shadows, m- much like well, Dracula. They, they don't, but they are shadows. They are, they are, presences that have no form. Like a shadow. Hmm. Hmm. You don't believe in ghosts. It's bollocks. You also don't believe in aliens. I'm more open-minded on aliens than I'm on ghosts. Ah. You were shaking your head an awful lot when we were in Roswell, though. 
Oh, well, well that's Roswell. <laughs> there's just milk in it. Well, there's, a di- there's a difference between aliens and a grift. <laughs> if you had this podunk town in the middle of New Mexico... Oh, I'm not blaming and, them. And somebody claimed that there were aliens there, wouldn't you make the absolute most of it? Absolutely, and more power to them. It's just... It's hokum and it's pish, and don't expect me to believe it. <laughs> don't expect me to pretend that I'm not being grifted. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm being grifted and I'm allowing you to grift me. Right. And and today I, I got to hold in my hands and I'm so excited for the book auction this year because another cool thing came in for the book auction. It's like the 16th century Italian manuscript cover. It's like metal. It's huge. And there's the, the manuscript is more or less gone, but like pieces of it, ghosts, if you will, ghosts of the original manuscript are still Not kind aliens. of stuck to the cover, the oh, inside of the cover. It's a playboy. In the 16th century. I'm sure they had porn in the 16th century. Well, yes, but it wasn't playboy. Ye olde playboy. It's in Italian. How would you say ye oldie playboy in Italian? Well, you wouldn't say ye. No. Because that was the, the sound. <laughs> so it's the. It's still the. There you go. Yeah. Not in Italian, though. It's a free be, bit of knowledge for you. It'd be what? Like, lay. Is it lay? Shall All we right, preamble, my dear? Yes, go ahead. Give us some of that pornographic calling news. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't go with the Daniel Brocklebank story then. <laughs> I've still got Ronnie's arms on my mind. <laughs> I can't. The, the pictures that Daniel posted on his Insta, they were both wearing clothes. Anyway, I am happy to report Phil with two L's has landed on his feet after Fizz dumped him and is now a member of the Nissan pit crew. Jamie Kenna is in the highest grossing film of last weekend in the United States. Gran Turismo playing Jackman Jones. And he was one of the few good things in the movie. Well, let's not get carried away here. (laughs) Um, It was hilarious because I kind of, I was thinking throughout the movie that kind of looks like Phil with two L's. And that's what it looked like Michael Smiley. And... When we did list of lists this week, I jokingly said, Phil with two L's. And you said the smiley guy. And then late at night, because I couldn't sleep at like two o'clock in the morning, I looked it up and I was like, holy crap, that was Jamie Ketta. It really was Phil with two L's. His voice was slightly different. He had a slightly different accent. And also he looks different when he's wearing a jumpsuit as opposed to a suit suit. Now, Michael Smiley has been in Kill List and The Lobster and Black Mirror and Doctor Who. And he looks... He does look kind of like Jamie Kenna. It's it's not a million miles away. Let me see. Well, that's this is Jamie Kenna. Yes. And this is Michael Smiley. Oh, I know who Michael Smiley is. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Yeah. He looks like a slightly thinner and older version of Jamie Kenna, and I don't think he's as tall as Jamie Kenna. Yeah, he's a Jamie bit Kenna's huge. Almost like Ronnie's arms. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> in fact, that's what it says in his Wikipedia height, the same as Ronnie's arms. Yep, <laughs> that's what it says on Wikipedia now. Ah, our Sue Cleaver was on Loose Women and discussed her health scare earlier this year. Um, well, a couple of health scares. She had a hysterectomy and then she was in in March and then like in April she had to be rushed for emergency surgery and everything. And then on top of that, a diet pill company was claiming that their pills were how she lost so much weight. Yeah. And that's fucking ridiculous. And she's like, this is fucking ridiculous. This isn't how it happened. I quit drinking and I got very, very sick. And she went to the jungle. Right. Which isn't known to bulk you up. This is true. So she had a lot of things that were kind of going in her. Right. In the direct, and I think she said in the same article that she was kind of concerned that she's lost a bit too much weight. And she's actually yeah. looking to put some of it back on again. Right. Yeah, I can understand that. I can totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, wish- sucks to the diet pill company they can go fuck themselves they absolutely can yes and and we ho- wish nothing but the best for sue cleaver for the rest of the year yeah and finally mazel tov to jenny mcalpine who gave birth to daughter doris six months ago but only <laughs> just now released the news which you know is smart that's good yeah we doris we doris those old names are coming back in vogue again, aren't they? Well, Doris is named after actor Doris Speed, who played first Rover's landlady, Annie Walker. Yes. Yes. So now all three of her children are named after people in Coronation Street. Although apparently Doris is also a family name for her. So it's a little bit of both. Apparently her son Albert wanted, wanted a brother and wanted to name him after a couple of Manchester United players. Oh. So... Tough luck, Al. You got another sister. Yeah. And that's Corey News. Good stuff. And that takes us quite neatly on to our feedback section. Everyone's a critic. And now for our YouTubes. So we've got a couple of questions asking the same thing this week. And I've only noted down French Helen's name. So apologies if I missed you. The question was around something I said last week about monthly downloads not being a useful measurement of how your podcast is doing. Hmm. If that isn't a useful metric... Why not? And what is? Yes. And I think I might have mentioned this before. If I haven't, or if I have, then apologies for boring people with it again. But when you subscribe to a a podcast, what your phone or your computer or laptop does is it typically downloads a whole bunch of them so that they're saved if you want Mm -hmm. to go and listen to them. So you can subscribe to the Talk of the Street and it might download 50 episodes Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to listen to 50 episodes. No. You might just listen to the first one. You might not even listen to that. And sometimes your iPhone and Apple Podcasts may just mysteriously download old episodes that you've already listened to for no reason. Yeah, and it might give you a U2 album that you never asked for. Who knows? That's also true. So those downloads kind of sit falsely in your monthly downloads total. So it's a, it's a metric, but it's not a great metric. Right. The, the better metric to look at is how many downloads did your latest episode get in a week? Because that's typically going to be people who have actually listened to it. Mm-hmm. So that's a good metric to use. Nice. And that's gone up as well. So yes. good news. Yes. 
And then Holly said today on Twitter, if this week's episode isn't called Willy Wet Spoon, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> and it's not called Willy Wet Spoon. Oh no, what is it called? Well, as everybody will know who's listening to this, apart from you. Right, because I'm not listening to it's this. It's named in uh, honour of Ronnie's Arms <laughs> and called These Apples. <laughs> I have internal rules, dear Holly, when it comes to naming the episode, because I need to take a sound clip from the episode right and ideally i want them to say the episode name at the end of the clip and the clip has to last for 30 seconds these are rules that i impose on myself (laughs) if i were to change them nobody would know apart from me well and me because you and i have had this discussion before where i say the episode should be called this and you say no because it doesn't follow my rules right and i say who gives a fuck (laughs) yes right and Willie Wetspoon came really early on in a scene. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that scene lasted 30 seconds. It might have, but anyway. I think so it did. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Poor Simon. He was Willie Wetspoon. Oh, he was Willie Wetspoon, yes. What was he doing there? Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand the whole Wetspoon thing. I don't get it. Anyway, thanks to the people who asked about the monthly downloads and thanks to Holly for the observation about the title. Feedback is always welcome. You can send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Cory Podcast. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Have you seen the trailer for the new Frasier I have not Frasier has returned to the the building building. looks pretty good we have a new friend of the podcast I need a sting for this when this happens welcome welcome aboard DT and thank you so much for for your kind monthly donations yes what does the DT stand for they are dynamite don't you listen to them don't you listen to her, DT? I'm grateful. Yes, and I'm grateful too. That's why I called them Dynamite. Oh, oh you're good to this? Okay. Anyway. Would you re- rather I just shout pickles? No. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. The talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast like DT did through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of every single episode. What happens when we get like a hundred friends of the pod? Then I will read out a hundred names. (laughs) Every week. and every episode. (laughs) And remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you, yes, you, Helen, get your podcasts. Well, you know how where I get my podcasts. And now, this. Ha <laughs> ha. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about bathtub gin. Bathtub gin. Was this one of those episodes where they go back in time to the 1930s? That's right. This was David and Shona taking the fish out of Stephen and his charity shop suit. 
if David ever needed bathtub gin, he knew where to go, he said, because remember his suit was kind of scabby and shitty and, and horrible and he looked like a, a spiv. Wasn't it one of Imran's suits? No. That came later. That came later, I think. I was Gavin and you were a band mom. I'm still a band mom. I helped, I helped bathe a trombone earlier. <laughs> but not like that. <laughs> We had Steli and, oh, that would explain the noise. We had <laughs> Steli and we Gavin playing brass instruments in the yard outside our office. You kind of started a new job. Was that, that wasn't, that wasn't now, was it? I thought it was in October. It was September? More action talk. Happy anniversary to me. Yeah, you started it. Uh, kind of on the down low for a while. Oh, that's right. And then you took some time off your other work, and then you left your other work. Yes. Meanwhile, I was working my way through all the Friday the 13th movies, which is odd because this year I've been working my way through the Final Destination movies. That's true. Summer's 18th birthday arrives, and with it comes a massive From Beyond the Grave letter. Bernie's evil twin reappears to return Joseph's school uniform and has a weird proposition for Bernie. Audrey hasn't signed her trust documentation and her mind is on other matters when she's pressed on the matter. Sean gets back in touch with Violet to get approval for Dylan's more permanent move to Weatherfield. Yeah, yeah what where happened? Is Dylan? Well, where are most of the children? <laughs> Kelly and Addie are forced to come clean with their parents and guardians when a Wedding Gazette article is posted a week early. Toya and her activist chums learn that the Knicker Factory will be welcoming a special visitor next week whose carbon footprint leaves a lot to be desired. Sam gets caught being mysterious with a letter and is reluctant to come clean about its intended recipient. It was Harvey. Wendy meets Mary and is quickly roped into an arm dram production. Jenny is distraught when she discovers how important the move to Canada was to Leo. Stephen hates blue bins. Ken has massive scissors. <laughs> and Nick runs out on his text allowance. Moment of the week was Jenny and Leo get engaged. And boring moment of the week was Craig's birthday drinks. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. We didn't get any Craig's birthday this year. <laughs> Good. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. So it's been like a year since Sinkhole Leo died. <coughs> Almost. No, it's been a year since uh, Stephen went ranch with the bins. But we're coming up for a year since yeah. Stephen killed Leo. And, yeah. and the police... Don't care. Well, they don't know he's dead, do they? They think he's in Canada. Right, but his dad found out he wasn't in Canada but and didn't tell told anybody. the police. But didn't tell anybody. Oh. Why did I think he had actually told the police? Because oh. that's what people should do. Well, that's what people would do. In right, that instead of yelling at the person that you think killed your son. And then getting knocked down and then losing your memory. And then, and then getting, getting back up back again. And then dying. And then never letting anything get you down, except for a stapler to the head. That's right. A hole punch. Something like that. No, actually, exactly like a hole punch. Yeah. Office supplies. Or a hole punch, which is what it was. Stapler's funnier. (sighs) It was a a hole punch. Now, I've got a bit of a sore throat this week, so... I've had no time to write any jokes, unfortunately. But we will start off this week's recap with Canadian Psycho. I haven't used that title in a while, because normally Tim's mum's involved. Right. On Monday, Anita rolls. Roy remains concerned for Carla, who insists that she's just stressed as she tries to find a new European distributor for Snapper. 
and at that, Angelique, the US distributor, comes in to Nina Rolls, wanting to talk to Carla about their contract, but hurries off on a call and says she'll meet her at the factory later. And it's kind of where you'd expect her to meet, not in the cafe across the street. Right. So as predicted, or as feared, Angelique says that they won't be renewing the deal, not because it's not successful, because it has been, but because Owen wants to cut out the middleman and make a range themselves. Fucking nightmare, says Carla, who is suddenly worried about the patent. Carla and Stephen explain this to Michael and Sarah for some reason, because I don't know why Sarah's there. Michael doesn't want this to be the end of his brand. So Stephen has phoned Angelique and pitched an idea to her, saying that it'll take months to launch a new product, and suggests that they just buy Snapper outright. Michael and Sarah, for some reason, are very nervous about this, but Angelique is keen to do a deal and wants to talk numbers. Sarah thinks selling up is the only way to do it if they don't have another deal in place, but no one really cares what she thinks anyway. In the bistro, Michael is still hesitant about all this and nips off for a shite, leaving Sarah to talk to Jenny about it. Sarah trusts Stephen's judgement on this, and as Jenny nips off for a shite, now Sarah is left with Tim, and Tim says that he wouldn't trust Stephen as far as he could fling him. Stephen has his whole family wrapped around his finger, and Tim explains about Stephen supposedly being coercively controlled by his ex, who he got to pose as a business client. Oof, that was a, a procession of characters that were just in it for a second to talk to Sarah to further this right. storyline on just a smidge, but then not to hear anything else that's been said as right. they disappear. Yes, this happens at least one other time this week, and... Tim is also involved in that one. <laughs> right. And the base wrote, Michael is still hesitant about all this. And th- No, I've just said that. Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, drops into the factory to talk to Carla about this snapper deal, reckoning this would take a lot of pressure off of her and could help to pay off Lou. Carla, though, isn't sure about making money off someone else's hard work. Peter says that she should compensate the others for their work then. Thank goodness for Peter and his man ideas. Meanwhile, Audrey's at number eight, complaining about a boy in the doctor's waiting room saying that Audrey had pooped herself. That is an actual story told on the show. Yep. Audrey did actually poop, though. Or did she? <laughs> no, it was a wee who's, boy who pooped who's his word? pants. We only have Audrey's word for that. <laughs> I think there's a fair chance that Audrey did poop. Or at least farted. Yeah. So, Gail is on the fence about all this. Audrey shows her the statement from the equity release place that she promised to do last week when Sarah comes in demanding to know about Stephen's coercively controlled ex, Gabrielle. Audrey apologises for not telling her about it, saying that they were only thinking of Stephen. So Audrey knew that Gabrielle did this? No. I don't think she did. Uh, Yeah, I was really confused by this because I can't remember Stephen telling them that he was coercively controlled. I don't remember that at all. Because they well, loved Gabrielle. They thought Gabrielle was great. Well, she told he told Tim's mum. Right. And I guess the risk was that Tim's mum would tell Audrey. Right. So maybe he did warn her about it. But it caught me by surprise. Yeah, me too. So Sarah goes back to the factory, calls Gabrielle and gives her a piece of her mind. Gabrielle doesn't react, calls Sarah sweet and loyal to her uncle. But there's a sting in the tail when she says that Stephen has never shown the same loyalty to Sarah or the family. Sarah demands to know more, but Gabrielle just hangs up. I know. Not she my is. not my circus, not my clowns. I kind of love Gabrielle. She's one cool bitch. Mm-hmm. You know? She's like, I want 
nothing to do with you people. <laughs> she never wanted anything to do with them in the first Ever place. Ever again. She just wanted their money back. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> you can continue your drama three times a week, if you like, but I ain't having nothing to do with it. While Sarah's taking care of personal matters, Carl announces to Stephen and Michael that even though she doesn't need to do this, she'll be cutting them and Sarah, for some reason, in on the Snapper deal, so it's in everyone's interest to get the best price going. Sarah goes back to number eight to look at the letter from the equity release company. Gail is sure it's a scam and Sarah agrees. Just like she never shot herself at the doctors, Audrey is sure that she never released any equity. Although now she thinks about it, she remembers Stephen sending an estate agent to the house. Now suspicious about this, Sarah takes the letter away to have a proper look at it. Through the back of the rovers, Stephen is bragging to Jenny about the sale that he brokered when Jenny gets upset. It's her last day as landlady of the rovers before she signs it all away tomorrow to uh, Newton and Ridley. Stephen offers to go with, and they're about to winch. Jenny actually says, what would I do without you? Blah. Who wrote that line for her? Blah. Shame on you. Seriously. Shame on whoever wrote this whole relationship. (laughs) When he gets a text from Sarah demanding to meet him. So in the factory, Sarah accuses Stephen of being behind the equity release thing. And after a fashion, Stephen admits it says that he was desperate for money and has every intention of paying every penny back once the sale of Snapper goes through. Sarah wants to tell Audrey, but Stephen thinks it'll kill her and he'll end up in jail and then no one gets paid back. He just needs time. Sarah is unconvinced though and leaves. And then there's a lovely wee scene in the Rovers where Rita, Ken, Brian and Audrey are playing Dream Dinner Party. At the next table, Stephen has details of the Angelique deal. They're going to make £70,000. Each. Michael, was it each? Yeah. What, they're buying Snapper for 280000 Yeah, that sounds about right. Does it? Yeah. I thought 70000 sounded about right. No, he says each. Michael is ecstatic, but Sarah goes to speak with Audrey, who is in a great mood. So Sarah decides to keep Stum, and she goes back and speaks with Stephen privately, telling him that she'll keep quiet, but she's doing this for Audrey, not him. He insists that he feels terrible, but she's not buying it. Suck my ball, she says. We're done. On Wednesday, Indina rolls. Roy is talking to Carl again about how she's doing, which is something that he continually does. She's harassed about meeting Lou later regarding paying off that stupid watch thing. And Roy seems concerned, and not just because Freddie has taken a shit in the middle of the cafe. And also chewed up his slipper and brought his slipper down into the middle of the cafe. At the factory, Stephen confirms to Carla that they are meeting Angelique next week to close the nipper-snapper deal. Sarah wants to go with, but Stephen thinks it's better to do this alone. Carla doesn't care if Stephen goes with tassels on his nipples. Sadly, though, everyone else does. (laughs) Sarah follows Stephen to the rape hotel, accusing him of meeting up with Angelique before next week to screw everyone over and take all the money for himself, and she threatens to call the cops. Stephen pleads innocence, and then Jenny appears right on cue. She's here to sign the paperwork with Newton and Ridley and explains how Stephen is there to hold her hand and then maybe get his hole. What a horny angel he is. And Lou is in the factory, meanwhile, to collect the first instalment of the watch repayments. And Lou and Carla... Seem to be getting on again yeah. as they talk like they were old pals. Yeah. Lou is so stressed that she can understand why Rufus microdosed on the LSD. Lou tried it once, but it gave her a terrible paranoid trip, like a mental breakdown. And this gets Carla thinking. Yes. 
So she goes round to Nina's Rolls to try her theory out on Roy. She reckons that after speaking with Lou, she thinks someone spiked her drink earlier in the year because the symptoms or the reaction was the same. Maybe it was Sarah. Maybe it was Stephen. Maybe it was Rufus. Roy, despite being spiked in the classic Corey timeline by Tracy, who leads him to believe that they slept together and he's Amy's father, is unconvinced and thinks the reaction also sounds like her first psychotic episode. Suck my balls, says Carla, and she storms off, accusing him of having too much faith in people. Which is kind of true. I don't know why he's so keen to ignore it as a possibility. Right. Given that he lives on Coronation Street. He has too much faith in people. This is why he gave racist Kelly a job and then didn't fire her when she made advances on him. Mm. And presumably didn't fire her when she never showed up to work at all this week. (laughs) So, Roy calls Peter. This is the other mistake that he makes. Roy calls Peter to warn him that he suspects that Carla may be a danger to herself with all of this LSD bollocks. Not that he means to intrude in other people's business, you understand. Right. Yeah, so, this is not something Roy would ever do. No. So, Carla, well, he does He does get involved in things that he doesn't necessarily need to get involved in if he thinks it's in the person's best interest. Right. Yeah, what okay, I, don't, I suppose. What, what I don't get is that he thinks that Carla is potentially a danger to herself. Correct. She's She's not, you know, she's not saying that she's drugged now. She's not shouting and screaming. She's not saying she's going to murder whoever dosed her. Right. There's there's nothing in that conversation that would make you believe that Carla was a danger to herself. It seems to be because I think a lot of people think that LSD is kind of a 70s drug. Why would there be LSD on the street? Why wouldn't and there be? Carla can explain, well, we know that Rufus was... Yeah, had it, and she explained Rufus that was to in Roy. the factory, and this this makes it kind of believable. If it's even, right. even if you don't believe in it hundred percent, it's not entirely out of the realms of possibility that this this could have happened. But right. Roy seems uh, because of plot, I guess, right? Yeah, really reluctant to believe it. Right. Yes, because we have to make Carla really, really angry at Peter. So. Carla gets home, loudly complaining about a banana, to find that Peter has called on Dr. Gadas to come round to sit for an unspecified length of time on the off chance that Carla will return. Right, yeah. Peter admits that he's spoken to Roy. You fucking asshole, says Carla. No offence, Doctor, but what the fuck are you doing here, says Carla. Peter was concerned, says Gadas. Based on a second-hand conversation, asks Carla. Don't be angry at Roy, says Peter. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing, says Carla to him. Gaddis explains that Roy thought she was having paranoid thoughts. Peter is determined to get his opinion out and reckons that he let her slip too low last time and won't do that again. Carla says she's fine and she'll see the doctor if she needs to. Gaddis tells Peter that it's not her business to make people talk to her that don't want to. Then why are you there? Right. And then she leaves. Yes. So she was just on her way home. Yeah. She was on her way home anyway, so did she house, figured she'd did stop a house by. Visit, sat on Carla's couch for 15 minutes, half an hour, three and three quarter hours, who knows, hmm. waiting for Carla to come home to then say, well, you look all right. Yeah. And then leave. Yeah. That was worthwhile. Yeah. I hope she's billing them. She'll be billing the NHS. Well, she yes. Billing them personally. This is an argument against the NHS. No, it's not. <laughs> So, 
Through the back of the Rovers and post-signing, Stephen goes to see Jenny, who's having a bit of a wobble after the sale. She reckons that she's let history down. Come on and get your hole off of me, says Stephen. Some Canadian cock will cheer you up. So that's what they do. That doesn't work. Carla goes to shout at Roy, who knew nothing about calling the doctor and wouldn't have told Peter if he knew that was what was going to happen. Carla has insight and is fine, she says, and the only thing getting on her wick is her so-called friend and her so-called fella. Roy gets her back on side by telling her about a test that they can do. LSD stays in the system for 90 days, he says, and they can test you. Carla bites his hand off. If these results come back positive, she's cracking the skulls of her enemies. Now, I was a little confused about this, uh-huh. and I've seen some commentary on uh, on social media that maybe clears up my initial concerns, because right. my initial concern was it's been much more than 90 days since Carla last took LSD. Uh-huh. So the result is going to come back negative then. But Roy specifies that she sends her hair in. Right. And so it gets out of your system in 90 days. But at some point along your a length of your hair right. will be the time that you took the LSD. So it stays in your system for 90 days, but could stay in your hair for an awful lot longer if you don't get your hair cut. Right. So this might work. Yeah, because she's got long hair. But it's not explained very well. No. I think it was March or April when she last got spiked because then she was out of it for a while and then Rufus died. Well. And Rufus died in April. Yeah. And since she came back from the rehab place. Right. She hadn't, she wasn't spiked after that. I don't think. No. He tried to spike her once after that, but I don't think it worked. But he ended up spiking himself. Yeah, that was hilarious. It was hilarious. Unfortunately, he doesn't have enough hair to test. No. So, if that's true, then this is going to come back positive. Right. If I'm being completely misled here, then it's going to come back negative. Oh, it's going to come back positive. You think so? Yeah. At this point in the storyline, it should come back positive. Yes. I don't understand why they didn't drug test her to begin with. Well, exactly. These tests clearly are available. Right. Yes. And if she was brought to the hospital... And if she said to the doctors, this feels different, you'd think, it, and even if she hadn't said this feels different, you'd think that on the down low, they would do a drug test for somebody who's incoherent. This is, this is gadass all over, though. She just throws antibiotics and antidepressants at things. <laughs> she, she's not got time to do, to do blood tests. She's got a home to go to. Right. She's got a family, apparently. Yes, we've seen her son. On Friday, Stephen and Jenny have got their hole and they're walking hand in hand down the street. They are official and Jenny wants to celebrate by going away. Bach. A passing Tim shouts his disapproval of this tryst to take the sheen off their post-hole glow. Jenny has a good feeling about this relationship, nonetheless. Poor Jenny. Poor, poor Jenny. Poor Jenny. She cannot cut a break. So last year, this time last year, <laughs> she was getting engaged to Cinco Leo. Since Cinco Leo, there's been that Owen guy right. who suddenly turned out to be an asshole right. at the drop of a hat. Yes, because plot. And now Stephen, yeah. also an asshole. Yes. <sighs> there's no luck. No. Stephen goes to see Carla about getting some time off so he can go and get his hole off of Jenny in Paris. <laughs> some le hole. 
Lehol. Carla is disgusted that he's knocking off her stepmother and in memory of Johnny, she asks who eats chilli con carne without <laughs> rice. Sarah overhears this and is fuming, assuming that he's spending uh, all his money on this. He's had it up to his tits with Sarah harping on about this. She's no angel anyway. Suck my balls, he says, and he storms off. Stephen sees Tim and a mystery woman hanging outside the flat, and upon inquiry, Tim announces that Tim's mum is selling up and wants him out. Stephen wants to stay until the sale goes through, but Tim says that he can suck his balls now, and yeah. slinks off. He's sucking a lot. Right. And slinks off to Jenny. Keys through the letterbox when you're ready, big chap, shouts Tim. <laughs> so Stephen goes into Rovers to complain about Tim making him homeless, but Jenny's got her own worries from another storyline, and she might be looking for somewhere to live too. In the factory, Carla gets a call from Roy, who spends an hour worried that he's interrupted her. He reminds us about the drug test thing. Stephen comes in wanting to set up a meeting to discuss the nipper-snapper deal, and she senses that he's desperate to get his mitts on some cash. So... She's not sure, despite the fact that she's never really trusted Stephen, she's not sure that he's behind the the LSD thing. Right. Because she still reckons that it might be Sarah, and it might be Rufus. How could it have possibly been Sarah? Sarah's ambitious. <laughs> because ambitious, ambition makes you drug people. Right, yes. Rufus, she doesn't really know. Right. Michael is also ambitious. Why couldn't it be Michael? Yeah, it, it really has to be Stephen. Right. And now that he's trying to get his mitts on this money, maybe that's more of a more of a, a nudge in his direction. Correct. The nick of people quickly catch wind that Stephen is homeless, so Kirk offers up Peanuts' room. I thought he was going to offer up Peanuts' bed for a minute. Well, Steve- no, he technically is. He said Peanut could sleep in the basket instead of in her bed, so you could sleep in Peanuts' bed. Stephen would rather die. He mentions using some of the nipper-snapper money to find a place to live, but Sarah goes mental at the suggestion. She gave him a chance to come clean and to repay Audrey, and she refuses to sit and listen to this Canadian bullshit anymore. In the rovers later, Carla wonders if Rufus is dead when Stephen moved in with Tim's mum, and Sarah can't remember. Carla says, it was nothing, she was just thinking aloud, but the wheels are starting to move now. You can see her, she's definitely thinking that Stephen's a suspect here. To the back, Jenny's relieved that she's not going to be homeless now that that other storyline gets resolved. And she offers Stephen one of the B&B rooms in the meantime. And if he gets cold in the middle of the night or fancies getting his dick wet, she's just across the landing. And that's as far as we get with that this week. (laughs) I saw Stephen being described online as a sexy villain. What is sexy about that? There is nothing sexy about him. I don't understand that at all. A sexy villain. No. You know who's a sexy villain? Loki. Yeah, well, I'm presuming that Tom Hiddleston was busy, so they had to go for for old Bracey. Yeah. Not sexy. He's not unsexy. He's not sexy. I don't know. He is unsexy. Is he? Yes, he's gross. He's gross. His voice is just so grating and awful. And he's so condescending to people. And that hairline just... (laughs) And that smirk. They could get a sexy villain. I don't know if we're seeing the same character here. I, they could get a sexy villain. They can't get Tom Hiddleston, obviously. But they could get a sexy villain. 
who's actually sexy. Maybe it's just that I don't like people from Ohio. <laughs> you go against people. Well, the only people that I don't like in Ohio are the state police. <laughs> you keep on pulling me over on the Ohio turnpike. Right, because people from Ohio don't like people from Michigan. I was just doing 10 over. Is that, is that such a big deal? <laughs> this is what it I'm paying my if, money for. It is if you've got Michigan plates. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, do, I do still find them enjoyable and i'm going back to finding them more enjoyable now that tim's mum's no longer at risk yeah but he might kill his own niece and then you wouldn't get to see sarah in a leather skirt anymore he's not killing sarah he's are you sure about that i would be amazed if a long-standing character gets killed in this melee as it all gets i don't know i don't know that would that would be it's it's a super soap week coming up, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what what could what is a surefire way to get good ratings in Super Soap Week? Kill off a main character. Look what happened to Johnny. What Johnny No Stories? Yeah, look what happened to Johnny No Stories. He got killed off. Good. I don't I don't think at that point Johnny was really one of their big draws. As much as I quite enjoyed Johnny. He had an imaginary cat. Johnny knows stories. His story was he had an imaginary cat. I just don't see who is in danger. They're not going to kill Tim. No. I can see them killing Sarah, though, who's just gone through a divorce. Sarah is never getting killed off. I don't know. Nah, no chance. There are far too many plots in this soap. I don't think so. And I don't think he's even had the look. He's never thrown her the look yet that says, your life is in danger here. Really? Because I thought I saw it when he was like... (laughs) When he turned into Scooby-Doo? I must have missed that bit. And you said that he's he's unsexy. If he can do a decent Scooby-Doo impersonation, I mean, that's that's knickers falling off at that, isn't it? Why are your knickers still on? Because yours wasn't a very good (gasps) Scooby-Doo impression. Oh, go fuck yourself. (laughs) No, <clears throat> I think it's getting ramped up towards his demise. His, his come up and his probable demise. Yes, and I think they're just they're just adding more campiness I, to it. You know what I'm hoping for in Super Soap Week? A rotted corpse in a canal. Oh, I think I think it's almost certain. Or we get to finally find out where he. Where he buried Sinkhole Leo. I'm genuinely cu- curious about that. Yes. I'd, I'd love to know yeah. where Leo's body is. Yeah. What's getting dug up this year? <laughs> right. Yeah, and and Carla... I don't know if Carla's going to be the one that, that finally pieces all this together, but I'm, I'm glad that she's at least investigating it. I'm glad that she gets some closure on the psychosis thing, because yeah, that was a terrible wee shame it really was it was dreadful yeah i hated it that's i think when i first started to turn on steven you know it wasn't sinkhole leo dying or ted or the second ted in a year dying no what do they have against men named ted they've got a a whole room full of deads just waiting to to (laughs) add to the cast when the time was right for death yeah Okay, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Shelley's expense account. 
On Monday, other god flat, Billy is sheepish, but Paul says everything's fine following the discussion from last week and he doesn't want to talk about it. That discussion was Billy saying, I don't think for the first time that if it wasn't for the fact that Paul was dying, Billy would have dumped him. Yeah. Yeah. And yet this week, everything's fine. Right. It's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. It's fine. Billy sheepishly mentions the stairlift being ready to pick up if Paul wants it and insists he's not trying to take Paul's independence away. Ed can fit it today, though. And it's this point that seems to grind Paul's gears and he goes off to see Shelley. Remember, she's the live wire from the support group thing. Yes, in the wheelchair. At Shelley's, Paul's complaining about Billy, but Shelley is in no mood to mollycoddle him here, suggesting that Paul is more blessed than anyone she knows in their position and maybe it's time he just sucked up, realised what he's facing and accept the help that's been offered to him from many directions. So Paul goes home, helped up the stairs by Ed and is in a better, more humble frame of mind, keen to spend the rest of the day with Billy, something adventurous while he still can. So Billy and Paul go off to a secluded lake and sit at the end of a small pier and they talk about what happened yesterday. Do you think we're ever going to get to see that stairlift? Or are we just no. going to hear it? No, we'll just hear it. <laughs> Billy says that what he said at the end of last week's episodes was true. If Paul had cheated, they would have split up. But in six months, they would have found their way back to each other, which is an obvious lie. But he's hit fast forward, and he's over it now. Paul thanks him, then suggests that they do a bit of skinny dipping, like posh folk do, and maybe even some nautical frotting. So that's what they do. So... Billy has definitely said now twice if you weren't dying I would have dumped you and I would have dumped you and we'd have just spent six months apart where probably I would have got off with Todd again and then that would have gone tits up and we'd have got back together again yeah because there are only so many gay men on this show he's not exactly spelling out a healthy relationship here he's not and it's not not. healthy it's not Notwithstanding the fact that Paul's unhealthy, (laughs) it's not a healthy relationship. So Paul and Billy splash about a bit, and Paul has to rely on Billy to stay afloat. But it's not dangerous or anything. Not, not I think. Anyway, it's I think Paul's safe throughout. Yes, it it seems like a relatively shallow lake. When they get home, Paul wants to book the wedding. So as they drift about, they smooch and enjoy floating all naked and stuff. And, and then did a I pick up on a look from Billy of what am I doing here? He was in the water together. Uh-huh. Paul said, let's go home and plan, plan the wedding. wedding. And then Billy doesn't really say anything. Kind of half smiles. They kiss. And Paul turns his back to Billy and kind of leans into him. Uh-huh. And Billy doesn't exactly do a two-second smile fade here, but he does He does look pensive. Well, is he looking pensive because his soon-to-be husband is dying? Mm. I don't know. I just, you know, was immediately swept away by that really lovely drone shot they do at the end there. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. And it appeared rocky in that water. Rocky was in the water? Adrian! <laughs> That would have been an interesting turn of events. It would have been. If only. Mm. Back home and dry, Paul and Billy discuss their wedding. Paul still wants to get married in his church, but that's a non-starter, and Billy's happy to go to the registry office route. Paul suggests a bistro, 
after Billy's penis earlier reminded him of a cocktail sausage. Right, yes. And also, Billy says, God is everywhere, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Sure. That'll get them in the doors on Sunday. <laughs> on Wednesday at the God Flat, it's Summer's birthday, and Paul and Billy pretend that they've forgotten. Except maybe they have forgotten. <laughs> it's hilarious. They give her a book and another book. Didn't they do this last year? Where they forget, they pretend to forget her birthday. It's almost like they do this every year. Yeah, she's got a complex about her birthday. Abusive parents. Paul is sorry that they couldn't afford to get her that laptop that she's never mentioned before, but maybe after the wedding, which is confirmed to be at the bistro. Paul heads off to see Shelley, but runs into Bernie on his way. She's at a loose end, so goes along with Paul to make sure both of them are all right, thinking that Paul looking after Shelley is a disaster waiting to happen. At Shelley's, Bernie has made a spot of lunch. Shelley's waiting for some parcels to be delivered, and when the door rings, Bernie answers it to save Shelley the effort, and it turns out the parcels were actually hundreds of parcels, and they're all laptops. Turns out Shelley still has her work credit card and ordered all of these when they let her go. Her neighbour sells them and uses the money to pay for her carer, and she'll be dead before anyone will try and get their money back. Sadly, though, the neighbour has moved to Ormskirk. Bernie approves of this scam, thinking her former employer's getting stiffed by the little guy is a thumbs up. Shelley offers one of the laptops to Paul. No one will ever know apart from the three of them in the room right now, and two of them will be dead soon. So back at the flat, Summer and Billy are making a lame video to advertise the wedding registry when the dull hum of the stair lift interrupts the take. In comes Paul with a surprise. A new other surprise for Summer. Wouldn't you believe it? It's a fucking laptop, and Summer can tell just from the box that it's super fast and has 50% more internets. <laughs> this will be perfect for uni, she says. Paul explains that Shelley was offloading it as she needs a new one that has uh, voice recognition on it. No one questions any of this. On her own, Bernie goes back to Shelley's with some of her special medicine, and also to mention that between her and Big Garth, they might be able to help out with the offloading of the laptops, and Paul doesn't need to know. This is one thing that she's good at to help Paul. And Shelley agrees. Let's milk this fucking card for all it's worth. You approve of this? There is a part of me that approves of this. Because fuck that company for saying, oh, you're sick and dying. Time to give you the boot. Yeah. Especially since she worked in a call center. She could still make calls. <clears throat> yeah, or take calls. Right. And apparently she worked all the way through the pandemic from home mm -hmm. and was fine. It's not like she's buying stuff and keeping it, you know? Well. She's selling it to pay for the stuff that she needs that she can't afford because they fired her for being sick, which should be illegal everywhere. And apparently they just stopped giving her hours, which is something that fraud fraudy sort of companies will do so that they because they can't legally fire someone they'll mm -hmm. just stop giving them hours that happened to nick remember when mcdonald's did that to nick <laughs> i think i'm just uh grateful to have gotten a job that in 1990 that essentially i still have right I mean, the company name has changed a couple of times. And my, right. my location has changed. Considerably. Considerably once. But, and it's no longer part of the same 
uh, organization but right. essentially since 1990 i've worked for the same company and it was a company that cared about its people and like i remember how well they looked after me when my dad died and you know the uh when my mum died when i was over here the um the latitude that i got from work the compassion um that you would really expect from other humans was really really nice and it really made me think you know i work for a good a good company i work for a company that has good ethics for that sort of thing and how lucky i am to be in that situation because especially in this day and age something like that is seems few and far between you never hear very much about companies who value their staff yeah that much and who who trust their staff and who you know it's it feels like it's a it's a dying a dying breed mm. and if i'm honest i think it was maybe a bit more compassionate on the uk side than the us side but still i've been treated pretty well and because mm-hmm. you worry about things like this what happens if you get sick right what happens if you're shell in this situation you right you you know that the people that you work for it isn't a charity no but you hope that you get taken care of as much as they possibly can right. not just cut loose like that yeah it's awful it's yes. like you've not got enough things to worry about absolutely but if they did that to me well i've got that card that's sitting over there <laughs> at that big time <clears throat> on friday in nina's roles paul tells bernie that shelly's looking for her Bernie pretends to be surprised and tells Paul that she's got enough on her plate without looking after another person, but as soon as his back's turned, she dingies a call from Dev and calls Big Garth to give him a heads up. She has some gear that's going to be needing shifted. At the shop, Dev wants to go out with Bernie uh, tonight, but she claims to be busy, and then he sees a text come in for her from Big Garth, and he goes raj, claiming that she's cheating on him. She's having an affair. The text reads, Looking forward to seeing you tonight. Can't wait to sample the goods and slip you an enjoyable length. Kiss from Big Garth. <laughs> Bernie says that she can explain and she kind of laughs at the idea of going out with Big Garth. Yeah. He's called Big Garth because he's tall. Right. She We've tries, seen Big Garth before, yeah, haven't we? he's a guy from Bread. He played Jack Boswell in Bread. Yes. She tries to lie about buying a keg or um, a craft beer off him, but eventually, <clears throat> but eventually she has to come clean about the laptops. Regardless of it all, regardless of it sticking it to the man, Dev disapproves because he is the man. You're not the man, Dev. She does not think that he's the man with his shop, Chippy and Kebab Shop. Yeah. And she begs him not to say anything and not to hate her. Dev apologises with flowers, which he's been doing for more than a quarter of a century. Yeah. He worries that despite everyone's best efforts, Paul is probably going to find out. And what if she goes to prison and he dies while she's in prison? Bernie hasn't thought about that, but needs to do something. And Dev promises to keep his mouth shut. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, and this is really rich <clears> considering <throat> Dev and another storyline being a little handsy with somebody else of the female persuasion. Oh, yes. So, it's <clears> like, <throat> really, Dev? Really? You're going to be like this? Well, this is Dev. Dev is very much one rule for me, one rule for everybody else. This is true. But despite... Like in a moral quandary of of deliberately stealing laptops and selling them. It's good that Bernie has something that she's good at. Right. <laughs> that, that can help Paul in his hour of need. 
We forgot the best part of that scene, though, which is Tim walking in to say, Sal set me down for a bit of ca- cauliflower. And that was it. <laughs> and then we cut to another scene. <clears throat> he walked into the store. He stood silently for what felt like 10 seconds <laughs> and then said about Sal sent him in for some cauliflower. Yeah. End scene. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> sometimes, sometimes the show is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that we haven't had a successfully completed gay wedding, I would be very worried that this wedding is not going to happen. Complete. Yeah. But it feels like it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Yes. They're really... How quickly can we possibly do this and make it believable? Right. Well, let's do it quicker than that. Yeah. I guess the maybe not poetic but the the biggest impact way for this to happen would be Paul to die on their wedding night can you imagine if they did that I can't imagine if they would do that I'm trying to remember there was something that I watched at some point where that happened I think I saw a EastEnders episode back when I was watching EastEnders when did, did Mark Fowler marry someone and she died got a vague memory of something happened on EastEnders that was like that no there was this really god awful movie about a kid who's dying EastEnders a movie no no this was an American movie and I can't remember what it's called Cynthia Nixon played the mom but this kid who's dying like gets a visit from Make-A-Wish and you know, and at first he says that for the Make-A-Wish, he wants to meet his favorite football player. And then the day he's supposed to meet the football player, he says, LOL, I was kidding. I just want a date with a supermodel. And hilarity ensues. And there's this weird, maybe inappropriate relationship with the supermodel eventually. And the one night that they actually spend together on the beach in the morning, he's dead. It was a terrible movie. Spoiler alert. I don't even remember the name of the movie. Okay. I thought it was... No, no, it wasn't EastEnders movie. No. I could look it up if you want. I don't. If you want to watch it. No, I don't. I think I saw it on Tubi. Or Freebie. Excellent. Yeah, um... I, I, I worry about this. It's just not great. It's not. It's just not great, the... Right. The relationship between... Paul and Billy is just so terrible. So terrible and tentative and and so much has been forgiven because of the the illness thing, which, you know, I guess has has some merit to it, but Right. But also Paul seems to very easily forgive Billy for being a total dick most of this time by saying things that are really inappropriate, like, if it weren't for the fact that you were dying, I would have dumped you. Mm. Or the, I don't really care about your feelings. I lie awake at night worrying about your death. <laughs> it's like they're going to get married out of politeness. Right. Yeah. It does kind of feel that way. And it's like, it would be so much better if this storyline where a character dies of a horrible illness focused more on that character and less on his terrible, terrible boyfriend, fiance, whatever. Yeah. Is Billy getting married to Paul 
without loving them, but thinks, well, does it matter? Yeah, this is the best thing for him. You know, I'm hmm. giving him the best years of my life because he's dying. Well, the best years of the remains of his life. Right. Yeah. I mean, this relationship was never great, even the first time when he wasn't dying. No. We were like, this, we don't like this. Way before the Todd stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's Even never, before it's, the Todd stuff. It's never been great. No. Because they're just so incompatible. Yeah, they really are. Paul, the, the, the kind of cheeky chappy, sort of always kind of on the edge of legality. Right. And the Archdeacon. Yeah. Uh, just doesn't work. Anyway, let's move on. To it's the like Azra and Crowley. Which is Dick and Dom. On Monday, Stu is getting ready ahead of a, a mediation meeting with Dom. Yasmin tells him to be himself for some reason. He asks her to keep Eliza busy at speed dial because he doesn't want her finding out that her dad is nearby. That's that's a great look. Yasmin agrees. And then she takes a call from Zidane, who is still a thing. Eliza, though, isn't up for playing ball. Fuck that. She has plans on hanging out at home on her tablet, but Stu reminds her that she's banned from that. For fuck's sake, says Eliza, whose language really is getting worse. And she storms off to see Sam. Meanwhile, it turns out that Sedan called Jasmine to offer to take her to Pakistan for her 70th birthday. Jasmine doesn't want to leave with all this Dom stuff going on and how Stu is so incapable of taking care of a wee lassie, but Stu insists that she does. This is his problem and he can handle it. No. That's a problem, says Jasmine. She's already knocked Sedan back. Right. Did we know that this mediation was coming up? I thought, I thought Stu said, nope, that's it. Your mom doesn't want you to see him. That's it. I didn't know that, like, Dom had called for a mediation meeting or, or anything. Did uh, this, did this, did this come up? It seemed to ring a bell. I think it rang the bell. I don't, because I remember bell. nothing about this. It's, it's so hard to hold it in your mind because. Yeah, we don't really care. Just seriously, just do not give a shit about any of these people. No, except for Yasmin. We'll always care about Yasmin. Uh, she makes it hard sometimes. Hmm. In the law office after the mediation session, Stu worries that telling the truth and admitting that he doesn't think Dom is a threat, he's given Dom the green light to see Eliza. And at this, Dom comes in looking for a word. He wants to talk Stu out of going to court. Judges side with the parents, and they're both parents because. Stu's the grandparent and Dom's the, the dad it'll be costly and Dom wants to be grown up about it fuck you says Stu I'll see you in court <laughs> back home Stu has just stepped into the house when Eliza asks for her tablet back he reacts angrily and she storms off Stu is also pretty rude to Yasmin here who points out that he's pushing Eliza further and further away so he goes off to apologise and over dinner Stu continues to apologise but Eliza tells him to go fuck himself until Yasmin forces her to accept it she goes off to her room again while Yasmin gets another call from Zidane, which she dingies, and Stu is now really guilty for her missing out, but Yasmin is also scared of some memories back there. That said, she would like to visit her mother's grave. I'm assuming her mum's dead. On Wednesday, Dom drops into Speed Dial to meet with Stu. He's grateful for this chance to talk. Stu has heard Bridget's side of the story, and he's keen to hear Dom's. Dom admits that he was a waste of space years ago, but he wants to make that right. He's here for the long haul and points out that a year ago, Stu would not have been able to spot Eliza in the police lineup either. Dom just wants the same chance that Stu got. 
Back home, he explains his meeting with Dom to Yasmin, and because Dom is a bloke, Stu could see his point, and Eliza really wants to see her dad, and Stu just wants to buckle to his granddaughter's whims. Yasmin reminds Stu that the only person who really knows Dom is Bridget, so Stu decides to go and speak to her again. Eliza and Yasmin are chatting about Pakistan when Stu comes back with exciting news. He's been to see Bridget and managed to talk her into letting Eliza get to know Dom. Well done, Grandad, says Eliza. You're not such a useless prick after all. And she gives him a hug. Turns out Stu got Bridget to agree to this to allow Dom to prove that he's still an asshole, which seems unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. On Friday, Anina Rose, Stu announces to Eliza that Yasmin is now on a plane to Pakistan. I thought she wasn't going. When did she decide to go? In that last that last fan, phone call, from when when Stu dingy when she dingies the phone call and Stu says, "Look, you really should go." I think she called Zidane back and said, "Yes, I'll go." Where is Zidane getting the money for this trip? Oh, isn't he like a big time chef or something? He is a big time chef or something. Just like uh, what? Just like James's boyfriend is a big time chef or something. Mm-hmm. They're all big-time chefs or something. In that London. In that London, yep. On Friday, Nina rolls. She announces to Eliza that Yasmin is now on a plane to Pakistan. I just said that. Eliza could not care less. All she cares about is that she gets to meet her dad today and not even an offer of watching the Tour de Britain with Sam can distract her. Tour de Britain. Are we doing English or are we doing French? Let's decide, people, shall we? <sighs> Isn't the word Britain based on French as well, though? No. <laughs> so Liza and Stu meet up with Dom in the precinct and he quickly wins her over with the offer of ice cream, except wouldn't you know it, he's forgotten his wallet. Hmm. Eliza says Stu can pay for it because he's minted now. And that perks up Dom's ears just a wee bit. Oh, just really? Bit. Yeah, how did that happen? Hmm. And Stu doesn't want to go into it. Right. But that's the end of that. Right. Well done, Eliza. Well done. Your dad's going to steal all your granddad's money. When did the Stu character go wrong? Was it when he started going out with Yasmin? It's when they found out that he really wasn't guilty and that her, his daughter... No, he was bad. He was terrible before that. It was maybe when, when, when we found out that he did have a family. Right, and when we did find out that he went down for murder. Because we didn't know that initially. I think I was happy enough knowing that he went down for murder. I would have preferred him to have done it. <laughs> would you have would you have liked him if he'd done it? I wouldn't have cared. Hmm. I, I don't know the circumstances. Since then, I've found it very hard to like Stu. And I quite liked him to begin with. He was a good catalyst in the ITV Corey storyline and, and a very useful extra in that to find the the rucksack and stuff yes so that was really useful but he served his use and then he was really good you know helping out kelly when kelly was homeless yeah yeah that was really good and he was really helpful and he was really kind and he was very paternal and it was nice but Stu, in the timeline when he's been let's say less likable and i'm sure people do like him the way he is just perfectly and wouldn't want to change a thing but for me since the family thing since he brought his family into the show again largely unlikable characters since since that happened and since this dom character who's now 
got involved and is also unlikable. He's very unlikable. Since Stu has created this little universe of unlikable characters that mm-hmm. we don't really care about. Except for Yasmin. Apart from Yasmin. It's so difficult to give the first bit of a shit about any of this. Yeah, because... Does Stu get ripped off? I don't know, and I don't care. Does Eliza go and have a good relationship with her dad? Who knows? Who cares? I I, I kind of, I kind of, kind of like Eliza with Sam a little bit. uh, Right, yeah. And she is also an awful character, whereas she was delightful when she was first introduced. She was smiling and happy to meet her granddad and happy to talk guitar with him and all Mm. this other stuff. Now she is this whiny little brat most of the time. Well, because she met her granddad and then lost her mum and her gran in one foul swoop because of her granddad. Well, no, because her mum killed somebody. Yeah, but as far as she's concerned, it's because everything was fine before she met Stu. That's true. But like, but like even in other storylines, because remember when Hope messed up her bir- her birthday party. Mm-hmm. And instead of being mad at Hope, she was mad at Sam for doing the experiment in the first place and called him a nerd. And mm-hmm. that's when I started to dislike her. Nobody calls Sam a nerd. That's true. So there's this, this collection of bad, unlikable characters that now we're supposed to care about. Mm-hmm. And I really don't. So let's move on. Yes. To Jalifbra. <laughs> On Monday, Calicum, no, just on Monday, Carla comes home from another storyline as Ryan explains how he needs to pull back from helping out with the finances that he did for that one week. Right. He mentions something about his clients becoming too needy. How much spooge do you think one man carries, he says. Carla has other shit to worry about and doesn't give a fuck, whatever she says. In the Rovers, Daisy chats to Ryan about the grief that he's been getting online. Ryan plays it down and says that he really needs to get some equipment for his video stuff, so Jenny pipes up that Daisy doesn't use a ring light anymore. But not like that. So why doesn't uh, she lend him that, even though you can pick one up for a tenner? Daisy obviously minds, but says nothing. But later, Daisy does take the stupid light round to Ryan and checks up on how he is. After his latest session at the hospital, he's considering covering his scars and makeup. And Daisy offers to help with that when he's ready, but she declines his offer of a brew or something stronger. She has to get back to uh, Daniel. <laughs> In his room, Ryan is recording a stupid voice message for his uh, home masturbation channel and has found some filters on his laptop that can remove his scarring completely. But when he looks in the mirror, though, they're still there because that's how filters work. Right. And that's all that happens in that storyline this week. Remember when Asha did that? When Asha used a filter to make her skin lighter, but then looked up in a mirror at, at her true self yeah. and was depressed. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for them to recycle every <laughs> once in a while. They're worried about climate change. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> nothing much more of, of Ryan. He's, all this really does is serve to remind us that he's still doing this. <coughs> It's it's unhealthy. The comments are giving him even more crises about his appearance and stuff. Who do this, you, is, this is this is bad all round. Who do you think his his uh, his secret admirer is? Does he have a secret admirer? Well, the guy who keeps uh, texting him and asking for videos. That's just a rando, isn't it? I think it's Sean. You think? 
Oh, God. <laughs> Not really, but still, wouldn't that be hilarious if it was Sean? Well, Sean did show a he decent amount of interest. He was very keen about this. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has been on that, what is it, Onyx? Ovids. Ovids? Don't, don't type it in. <laughs> if anybody would be into that whole Ovids thing, it would be Sean, who can't keep a fella. I don't know that he's even trying, but he also can't keep his son because God knows where he's got to. <laughs> well, and in, but in fairness to that, half the children on the street are missing. We'll move on then to our penultimate storyline, Recovery Schmacovery. On Wednesday, Cassie creeps up and surprises Tyrone at the garage. She'd like to treat him to a sticky bun, but she already did that when she surprised him. He's too busy, so she goes off to cause trouble somewhere else, but they arrange to meet at the pub for lunch. In the rovers, Mary gives the evil eye to Cassie, who she thinks is trying to worm her way in with Dev. She's also sit with Kirk and Tyrone. Kirk kind of makes Cassie think she probably should have stayed in South Africa. Tyrone needs to get back to work while the drinking continues. No, no, <clears throat> say it right. Cassie thinks she should have stayed in Sudetica. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't think you liked it when I did that. <laughs> Tyrone needs to get back to work while the drinking continues and Cassie breaks out the playing cards while Mary silently fumes. So we get Chin Rummy <clears throat> again. Yep. Time passes and Cassie gets more and more pissed with Dave and Kirk. Then Tyrone comes back from work and into the rovers and is shocked to see Cassie still there. He thinks it's time to go home. Cassie resists wanting to tell a story about Danny Bathroom. I really wanted to hear that Danny Bathroom story. Tyrone thinks this could jeopardise her recovery, so Cassie reluctantly agrees and she leaves. Her stories are terrible, though. I know. Back home, Cassie seems to have a problem with Tyrone, who didn't tell her his friends that she wasn't supposed to drink. <clears throat> I was so confused about this. Tyrone reminds her that the girls are home tomorrow and to take it one day at a time. So she drank and got the drinks in, uh-huh. but was pissed off that Tyrone didn't tell them that she shouldn't drink yeah how does that work who knows she's manipulative and not a good person on friday tyrone comes off the phone with his he's about to set off to pick up the girls and cassie wants to go with but ty thinks that's a bad idea and cassie going to the job center is the better idea he tells her to pick up a frozen pizza for the kids on the way home she's got no money though so ty hands over 20 quid and she jokes that she'll blow it on crack huh <laughs> <laughs> and in the rolls, Tyrone comes in looking for Evelyn and hoping that she'd look after the girls for a bit this afternoon. Evelyn worries why he doesn't ask Cassie, or is the fear of her shooting up in front of Hope and Ruby a bit too much for a first meeting? Fuck you very much, says Tyrone, and he's about to go off when Evelyn drags him back and agrees to look after his stupid kids while he nips off to the dentist. And later at home, Tyrone is back from the dentist sounding funny. Evelyn is pissed that Fizz sent the kids back with dirty washing. Well, I would be annoyed at that as well. Ty laments the meet-up at Kettering. Evelyn reminds him that that's what life would have been like with Alina Pop and Phil with two L's, which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Oh, another mention of Phil with two L's. Was a random mention of Alina Pop from Evelyn tonight just a random mention? Or was it a more calculated reminder of her name ahead of a Christmas Day return with Tyrone Jr.? <laughs> Random or Christmas pop return? Random got 30.2% with Christmas pop return a whopping 698 Aha, uh-huh, 69. <laughs> 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 
Everyone's had their dinner when Cassie comes home with the pizza, rather agitated as she meets the girls for the first time. They don't seem to care too much. The frozen pizza has defrosted in her bag while she was in town and she got the wrong bus home and she ended up in Denton and she met up with an old male friend and they just watched a bit of telly, wink, and she didn't get to the job centre. So Tyrone offers Cassie a job running the phone at the garage because she's not enough like Abby as it is. Let's hope Tyrone doesn't live to regret this, says Evelyn. And that's as far as we get with that this week. And it was quite funny in that scene how Evelyn was just given... Cassie just a little bit more rope to, ha- to hang, hang herself, herself with. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, what happened with your friend? Where was your friend? What, what did you do all afternoon then? Why didn't you get to mm-hmm. the job centre and all this stuff? I The week when we first saw Cassie and then she and Evelyn left, I thought this was great. And I was really pissed off that we were losing Cassie after only knowing her for like three days. And we were losing Evelyn for a while as well while she did her one-woman show thing. Since she's come back, uh, I know it's early days and stuff, but the similarities between her and Abby it's terrible. cannot be ignored. Do they only think blonde women do drugs? Yeah. Who are like maybe 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five? These are the only women who ever do drugs. It, it can't be a coincidence the casting, right? They must have known what they were doing by casting somebody who looks like she could be Abby's older sister. Mm-hmm. Who has the same kind of problems that Abby had right. when she was introduced into the show. Mm-hmm. The problem with her kids and the problems with the drugs and holding down a job and relapse and, and all that sort of stuff and right. the fact that, that they put her in the same room as Abby yeah. was, was and now they're going to be working and together they're going to be working in the same place it's just uh, do, we have, do we have to go down this way this feels like a character that could really be interesting and we can argue whether the retconning of uh, Tyrone's heritage was a good idea or not but I think having Cassie there and the the quality of the actor that you have brought to the show could really, really work. But it's not this, working. This feels like it's just rehashing a story that was told not that long ago, yeah. and a story that's kind of still being told a couple of a couple of uh, doors down. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what the sense is on it. <clears throat> Well, it's kind of like how many people can be sexually assaulted on the street before we say, you know what, maybe we need to stop doing sexual assault stories. Right. Everybody on the street can't either be drug addicts or sexual assault victims. No. Or be shot in the stomach and got brain damage from it. Well, to be fair, that doesn't happen all that often. It's just that when it does happen, you kind of remember it. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... It's so obviously similar just now. <clears throat> and I see kind of comments and, and thoughts of, well, just give it some time and see where it's going to go. It's going to go in a completely different direction. Well, that's fine. But at the moment, it's not. Right. And at the moment, I don't know what bringing this uh, influence into Tyrone's house has is, is, is given us. And I- right. And, you know, 
I do like the retconning of Tyrone's past because it gave us Evelyn. Sure. And I wonder if there's a way that they could have done that without having to retcon the past, though. They would have had to retcon a little bit of the past, wouldn't they? Or make her a completely different character. Make him his aunt or something. His great aunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might work. But I also, I, I kind of wish Tyrone wasn't so dumb and wasn't so naive. You know, it's like Maria. Remember when basically that was Maria's personality and then they finally gave her something to do and we're like, oh, this is actually an interesting character now Much and we better. like her. Much better. We yep. like her. She's, whereas before we didn't necessarily like her because she, because all they did was make her dumb and kind of a tramp. And just repeat. And there's Maria breaking up another relationship. Right, and yeah. Up another, and having another affair. Right, yeah. I think... What really got me this week about this was the reaction of the kids who could not have cared less. Right, which was weird because they were all excited at first. They were so excited. And then Hope couldn't remember her name. Right. That lady. Where's that lady who was coming? Did she bring us presents? But if they'd brought her... If Cassie had come in and the kids had been all over her and thrilled to meet new Granny Cassie... Well, now, now we've got a bigger problem here because we can't get rid of Cassie because the kids love her so much. Well... But they don't care. Yeah. So we've avoided that. Right. So now it would Cassie's be... in the house and nobody gives a shit apart from Tyrone who, who, who doesn't seem to be all that enamoured about it anymore. Yeah. It needs Fizz back to sort this shit out, right. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And because he doesn't, he doesn't want to admit that his grand was right. I think is an awful lot of it. I right. think there's an awful lot of mixed feelings. And I think all of this was quite, quite cruel to Tyrone. But, you know, I kind of wish the kids were still enamored of her, of the idea of her that they were last week when they went away. Because um, I feel like that would be more interesting if they grow to really love her. And then she falls off the wagon and it's horrible. And, and to see them try to come to grips with that, that could be interesting. Yeah, the kids can be the mirror that Tyrone is refusing to look into when, when they love Cassie and then Cassie lets them down and Cassie is a poor carer for them because she's relapsed. Then, right. then Tyrone seeing the reaction of the girls can as a wake-up call to exactly what's going on here. But, but that doesn't happen if the kids don't give a shit. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because we have Eliza, you know, who finally gets to meet her dad for the first time and is kind of enamored of him, but he's going to eventually let her down. And then we have Hope and Ruby who were initially really excited to get a new grandmother and now just can't be arsed sort of thing mm-hmm. you know but but they're still going to be let down at some point right yeah why are all the children on the street awful is it the water or it, is it the schools there was an interesting thing though that cassie said when she was introduced to hope and ruby and she spied ruby as being a bit of the troublemaker yeah which is weird and hope was just like whatever 
Oh, well. She was a bit like manic and weird and she was kids kids hope and yes. kids hope and ruby's age are are very they noticed that sort of thing so they were probably quite a bit weirded out yeah well we'll see where it goes then how this working at the garage is going to go it's like when she Terribly. said that she doesn't know how to be a mechanic i was like well at least she's not going to be working at the garage and then she ends up working at the garage I was like for fuck's sake all right our final storyline tonight is risky business on Monday, Ed runs into Ronnie with some exciting news. There's a plot of six houses that suddenly come on the market when a previous buyer bit off more than they could chew, but they've done all the planning permission. That's all in place. This is a goer. Ronnie has to pretend to be cautious about this as Ed is super excited and asks for the detail in an email because Ronnie, he's gone and spent all their money on chairs in Newton and Ridley. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie meets up with Debbie, admits that Ed's idea is a goer, but all their money is now tied up in those shares. Ron and Ed go at the bank manager and meet up with Debbie later in the pub. They've been approved for a business loan but need to find 20% themselves. Ed goes off for a shite and Ronnie asks Debbie what to do to stall the project. Debbie is sure the shares will pay out. And when Ed comes back, Ronnie says he wants to get the land checked out properly before they hit the go button. Ed is a little impatient but agrees to wait for a day or two. Then on Wednesday, Ed's up nice and early. Aggie's off to visit her auntie for some reason. God, when are we going to see Aggie back? And in the roles, Debbie and Ronnie chat about the situation with Ed. Ronnie plans to lie to him about a surveyor who's a mate but can't start for a few days. And Debbie is very turned on by this. So Ronnie flexes his muscles. You like these apples, eh? Mm-hmm. You like these apples? How do you like these apples? In Matt the ca- Damon approves. In the cafe, with other people present. Yes. Debbie reckons he just needs to stall Ed for a couple of more days. So Ronnie goes and tells Ed about his fictitious surveyor mate, but Ed was bored and hired a surveyor himself, and the survey has been done as they speak. Time was off the essence, and Ed wants to make the offer now, and Ronnie shits himself. Later, Ed breaks the news that there are other interested parties in the land, and it's sealed bids only, which is pigs tits all round, because right. now everyone's going to bid higher than they would have done normally. Right. And Ronnie wants to do their sums again before making an offer. Other overs, Ed is kicking himself for taking his eye off the ball. Now they're going to end up overbidding, and the deadline is tomorrow at 4pm. Privately, Ronnie explains to Debbie that if the council accept their offer, they'll want an immediate down payment that'll clear out the company's accounts. But Debbie has a gut instinct that the Newton and Ridley share deal will be announced beforehand. If they don't, sell the shares now and just take the loss, she says. So Ronnie has an out here that he decides to not do. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Ed wants to work on their bid, but Ronnie is distracted by news in the paper that old man Newton has stood down as CEO of Newton and Ridley. Ed leaves and Debbie comes in and tells Ronnie that the share price has tanked, just as we said it would. Yes. And there's no news of the takeover. But there's no sexual harassment, which is what we no, thought yeah. was the reason I'm why he disappointed would... disappointed about that. This could fuck them all. They need to pray that the takeover deal goes through, and through quickly. Just in case... Everybody didn't hear that. Gav is sad that sexual harassment didn't happen. Yeah. Very disappointed. You wanted to see the sexual harassment. I don't want to see it. I just want it to happen. At Ed's, Ronnie says that he's having sleepless nights about overstretching themselves. The numbers just don't stack up. Ronnie wants to call Canny. Ed, though, thinks they've got their numbers in hand. It's perfect, and this is the deal for them. Meanwhile, Henry goes to the pub. 
this was all news to him about the about his dad standing down and he has no idea how this is going to affect the sale of the rovers or the after effects. He gets a call from his dad and hurries off to take it as an interested Ronnie watches on. After the call, Henry tells the assembled crowd that the brewery is now for sale and a big corporation is buying. Still, no one knows what this means for Newton and Ridley or the Rovers, except for uncertainty. It's all in the hands of the new owners, and this is why the share price is tanked. Henry is going to fight against the deal. This is a family company that just so happens to be floated on the stock exchange. Ronnie shits himself a wee bit and grabs Henry for a private word. He tells Henry that small breweries get bought over all the time and Waterfords are a great company to sell to, and Henry is now very curious how Ronnie knew about the top-secret Waterfords bid. Thinking on his feet, Ronnie talks about word on the street and how everyone is speculating, and based on Henry's reaction... Even Ruby! He's just confirmed it. Yeah, Ruby just can't keep her mouth shut about it. <laughs> Poor Ruby. It's Henry's turn to shut himself now, and he hurries off. Good thinking, Ronnie. In the Rovers, Ronnie's ignoring calls from Ed. Debbie tells him to deny everything until he's caught. Until then, lie and stall. So Ronnie goes to see Ed with more stalling tactics, but it doesn't matter because Ed has already submitted the bid without telling Ronnie. What, what? Ronnie doesn't think they can afford it, and when Ed pushes back, he has to come clean about the worthless bag of beans that he bought. But he's sorry, so that's nice, isn't it, Helen? Yes. I, for- I, for- I forgive him everything. Because of his arms. Lovely, lovely arms. Those apples. Oh, So much for being in this together, says Ed. Unless the share price goes up, they're fucked. After a tough day, Henry's back in the Rovers, exhausted. They didn't even let him into the meeting. (laughs) He has absolutely no sway, and the sale is done. Jenny tries to find a bright side in Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, which Daisy isn't too sure about. (laughs) Apparently a rep is doing the rounds, to introduce themselves and we'll have more information about the takeover and she'll be in touch in the next six weeks. So Debbie is in the Rovers later chatting about the future with Daisy and Sean when the rep from Waterford comes up for a quick look around at the pub. What happened to the six weeks thing? Daisy sends Sean off to fetch Jenny and Debbie catches wind that the takeover is done and done. Is this the first Eastern, East Asian person we've ever seen on the show? I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, we, we have... Obviously, people from Pakistan and, and India, but this is the first person from further east than that I think I've ever seen on the show, yeah. even in the background. At Ed's, Ronnie promises to get the money back, and as they're chatting it through, Debbie comes in with the great news. The deal has gone through, and the share price has rocketed. They're about to make a ton of lovely, lovely cash. And even at this early stage of the story... Ed seems unusually keen to hold on to the shares to make even more money. Right, yeah, all of a sudden. Or maybe they could reinvest. Ronnie urges calm and sensible heads here. Jenny's given the rep the tour and she's charmed by the pub and she's keen to keep the general aesthetics of their establishment and she nips off for a shite. The only thing that she wants is a quotes board. Right. And Daisy hates quotes. Right. Says Daisy. So she wants to make it a Starbucks? (laughs) Jenny announces that their jobs are safe, even Sean's. So there's a downside to everything. Oh, there's going to be uniforms too. Yeah, that'll last a week. So in the Rovers, Ronnie's ready to give his man a shout to sell the shares. Ed still worries that it's too soon. Ronnie reminds him that they nearly lost the money once already and he's not going to let that happen again. And he goes home to Debbie, leaving Ed in the pub, where he suddenly becomes interested in the horse racing pages of the Weather Gazette. 
And that is how we end this week's episode. What the fuck, man? Now, we've never seen Ed in his gambling mode. No. He was introduced to us post all that. Yes. So this has been a few years that he's been clean. Right, where they had to significantly downsize Mm -hmm. and live on Coronation Street. Right. And it looked like, for all the world... And unless somebody mentioned that Ed used to have a gambling problem, it was never it was never brought up and it was never an issue. No. Because he didn't have enough is. money. And of course now it is. Yeah. Because now he's got money again. The thing that they said wouldn't happen has happened. Yeah. That Ronnie playing the stock, stock market. Because he wasn't going to tell Ed right. about it because it's gambling. But he told Ed about it and Ed didn't want to be involved in it because it was gambling and was very angry about it Mm -hmm. and then once it paid off now he wants to do more of it and now he's gonna start gambling gambling again once he felt that that thrill of thinking that you've lost something and then it coming in it's reignited that little receptor in his brain that little thing that's looking for that dopamine hit and and now we're going to see ed in gambling mode i guess I'm not too sure that I really want to see, want to see that all that much. I do not. Oh, you know what I do want to see? Ronnie's arms. Well, there's that, yes. And Aggie. Yeah, let's see Aggie. Where is Aggie? Once again. She, once again, she's out of the house and she's never, never home at night. Um, she's wherever they're stockpiling the children, apparently. <laughs> right. But, yeah... And it's nice they Ronnie stares at a picture of James for a while and talks about his possible says remember this kid yeah remember remember this is your son too they're only allowed to have two Bailey children on the show at all times so we had to swap Dee Dee and James out I know that we can't have a storyline based on Ronnie and Ed having a successful family business I know we can't have that. But we can have it for a little while where they make their money and they flip houses and they do all that sort of stuff and they're they're quite good at it. And then something happens to maybe bring them into some kind of conflict with each other or, or whatever or one of them starts stealing or, or what has happened where one of them goes against the wishes of the other one and, and all hell... Breaks loose. It and seems they trust kinda... Ronnie and Ronnie loses all the money, but then he gains it all back again. Yeah, but it feels like we've kind of rushed into the, the gambling thing. This is only the second yeah, the second project that they've had. The right. first one was successful. The second one looked like it was going to fall flat on its face, but thanks to gambling, it's going to be successful. Well. Except Ed is probably going to gamble all the money away. Right. The sale of the Rovers, though, so we had the, the sale part of it to Newton and Ridley and then the immediate takeover thing which gives us a, a bit of a oh well, what's going to happen now? The one thing that we can be, be sure that isn't going to happen now is that we lose the Rovers. Right. The Rovers, the Rovers is... They're turning it into a TGI Fridays. It's the cobbles. It's... We're going to knock the whole thing down and build skyscrapers, right? It's the yeah. it's the thing that well, you can color this whatever way you want. We all know it's not going to happen. Right? The Rovers is going to be the Rovers. They're not going to change the name. If they have uniforms, it's going to be 
fleeting and then something's going to happen and they'll all go back to just wearing whatever they want because who cares? Hmm. Just like last week, it didn't, you know, when this first happened where we're going to lose the rovers, it didn't happen. And it's like the cliffhanger last week with Paul and Billy. You know, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? There's going to be like this really serious conversation. One of them is going to move out. Billy did sleep on the couch. I will give him that. He slept on the couch like a decent guy. It's just it's starting to get really frustrating that storylines either go on far too long, like Steven, or they set it up like it's going to be this big, huge thing, and then it's over in less than a day. But in this story, though, uh-huh. I, I guess what could happen, what might happen is that the rep who seemed very nice and very assuring to them that nothing's going to change that much, no jobs are going to be lost. We're a company that's softly, softly let everything just continue as it was. Well, for a start, no company's like that. No company buys something over to change nothing. Maybe it turns out that she's a bit of a bitch, and she's and she's like a very much a helicopter manager of the whole thing, much to everyone's chagrin. Maybe that could happen, and maybe that would be quite funny for a while. I thought something was going to fall out of that quote book that she left. Oh yeah, or that something was going to happen to her in the bathroom. Well, I thought the bathroom was going to be boofing, but they addressed right. that when Daisy said that they clean and like yeah, they're they're clean. So we kind of avoided all that. No, she's come out and she's been fairly nice and she's been very yep. reassuring to them We don't all. even get to see her leave. No. Because she's in the bathroom and then they find her quote book on the bar. She never officially left the bathroom by the looks no. of things. No, and then Sean is annoying. I thought Sean was maybe the best Sean's been in, in a while. Yeah, but the quoting the quote book over and over and over again, no, that just, was tiresome. Because it, it was annoying Daisy. I thought we liked Daisy. We do, but it's still quite fun to see her annoyed, like when Glenda's singing and Daisy becomes annoyed at that. Debbie was proved right, though. She had a gut feeling about those shares. If everyone had just like kept their mouth shut and stuck to the plan, there'd have been quids in and nobody would have been any the wiser. Well, things can still go tits up. And they will, because Ed's going to gamble all their money away. But th- this is my point. Yeah. If they just kept the faith not told Ed the shares would have paid off they would have got the money back it would have been doubled Ed didn't need to know anything about it and Ed wouldn't be gambling again right if everyone had just fucking listened to Debbie in the first place right and just stuck with Debbie she told them don't tell them until you're caught right Ronnie wasn't caught don't pay the bill until you get the red letter Ronnie wasn't caught and he, he lost faith he, he lost his happy. He could have come up with something. Hmm. He could have pretended to have explosive diarrhea and run away for an hour. <laughs> and by the time he came back, everything would have been quids in. He he lost faith, and now Ed's going to die. Well, what? that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? I like them apples. Really. I know I initially said it was going to be Tim's cauliflower. Well, both choices are terrible. But I, Tim kind of lost it when the cauliflower story was used just to 
provide exposition between Tim and Paul, two characters who've never talked to each other ever in their lives, so that Paul is going to find out about his mum selling Shelley stuff. Yeah, they've never they've never had much of a relationship the two of them. No. So then when Tim I'm not sure that Tim knows Paul's name. Cause so when Tim walks over and says, Hey mate, how you doing with that whole dying thing? You're like, Oh. Mm-hmm. And then he mentions the cauliflower. I like it when characters don't know other characters' names. Remember last week when Simon didn't have a clue who Paul was? That was great. Because there should be people in the street who don't know the names of other people. This should happen more often. I don't know. I mean, I thought the whole point of the show was to be this folksy thing where, like in, like in Boston, in a little pub called Cheers, everybody knows your name. It's still funny when someone doesn't know. Yeah. Or What's re- Simon doing at the, at the factory? He works at the factory now. He Since helps- when? Since he got a job at the factory. Well, Remember? Because clearly. he lost he lost, he lost his other job and I thought he lost I thought he was no longer living with his mates and something happened there. But then I thought he, he was living with Carla and Peter. Maybe he's living with Leanne and and I almost said Ben. Leanne and Nick. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, who your knows? Your mom of the week is Dem Apples. Dem Apples. Do you know, Can you think of anything else? I stopped doing the meme for moment of the week months ago, so you can pick whatever you like. <laughs> I, I no longer need to come up with some words to justify it at three o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> you can have whatever you like. Dem Apples is... Moment of the week. Uh, moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Again, we don't get any decent Daniel or Chesney content this week. Nope. We shouldn't always look to them for boring moment of the week. Yeah, it's so easy though. Um, it just it makes it easy because at some point they're gonna say something boring or do something boring. Is it the wet spoon thing? Because I was confused by that, and so. It it made me bored because I was confused. Yeah, maybe maybe something to do with Kirk. Kirk well, was Kirk confused. was in that scene. Uh huh. And Kirk tried to do a crossword. When did I thought it was Mary who had the crossword? But no, well Mary did, but Kirk was trying to do a crossword, and those the clue was you've got five of them on each hand, seven letters, and he's going one, two, three, four, and that was. That was comedy. Okay, no, that's that's definitely boring moment of the week. Boring I don't even remember it. The week. There we go. And what in our new recent feature that might need a theme tune. What score out of ten are you giving it this week? You you come up with new features just so you can write new theme songs, don't ba- you? Basically. Yeah. Five point five. That's I think the lowest score you've given. Yes. There were bits of it that I I kind of liked, but there's an awful lot of dull stories that just don't inspire me at all. Yeah, It's kind of like a gap week where it's setting up big, exciting stories. I like the Steven stuff, and I kind of like the factory, uh, the rover stuff. And the rest was pretty forgettable. Yeah, or unforgivable. Forgettable or unforgivable. Right. That's a good And that's also, a good let's remember, part of the rover story is 
Jenny having sex with Stephen, which oh, I'd I rather forget. Happen. I'd rather forget it. I'll, I'll maybe give it a. I'll maybe give it a five this week. Oh, so I gave it a higher score. I think you normally give it a higher score than me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that normally happens. But you and seemed in the five weeks that we've been doing this. But you seemed to defend it, so I thought you were going to go higher. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of storylines I like, so I'm down the middle. That's a five. Mm. Okay, fair enough. This episode then was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, and DT. Thank you very Dino much, mate. <laughs> if you've ever skinny dipped in a rocky lake with Rocky. <laughs> Writing to tell us about it. Hey, Adrian. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're Dig at... Dig your top off. And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and threads. That was a terrible Sylvester Cut Stallone. Cut me, Ricky. Cut me. <laughs> you can shout me in hell on a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our YouTube channel and merch store. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Talk on the street. Talk on the street. Bye. Cheerio.